right, praise the Lord, good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Praise the Lord. Before I get into my message, how many uh, know the scripture, I was glad when they said we were going to the house of the Lord. Hey, I didn't see you this morning, good morning. See you, brother, bless you. Bless this morning. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I don't know if you've got a chance to meet Molly this morning, but Molly is the most excited one in this house this morning. Wave at me, Molly. If you get a chance to talk to her, you'll be full of joy after you get done talking to her. She's so excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. I wish we all had that excitement. Hallelujah. I think it's contagious. What do you think, Margie? <laughs> All right. This is a tough message this morning, but I think it's one that is um, beneficial to the body of Christ and uh, uh, anybody who hears it this morning. But um, uh, my wife will attest I tossed and turned all night, just couldn't really sleep that well. Um, And knew it was the message the Lord wanted me to deliver, but it's still... You know, you got to be faithful to that message. And the title of the message is uh, War Torn. War Torn. Hallelujah. But it says in Romans 8.22, we know this is something that Paul is speaking of certainty. You know, the, the Greek here is very clear. He knows for sure that the whole creation, that's everything, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So from a certain period, very fixed and sure, until now. Um, No mistake there that creation is groaning. It's an anguish. Um, But something I would really point out here is it's not the groaning of death. It's not something dying and it's not something, you know, it's childbirth. Which with it brings promise that whatever comes after this period of groaning is something exceptional. And the Bible gives promises. In fact, it'll go into it later in chapter 8, the promise of what's coming. But the reality of where we're at. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's just pray that the Holy Spirit, um, how many know the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit um, moves through the act of preaching, it's different than teaching. Preaching means that it's prophetic. And the Bible clearly says that the Holy Spirit um, will reveal the intents of our hearts. And don't get scared, that's not a bad thing. And we'll know of a surety that God is in the house, the Bible says. That means that because the Holy Spirit is ministering directly to this moment and this hour, that we'll know that God was in that message. Hallelujah. How many have experienced that? That you felt like, man, God's reading my heart. Well, it's not just your heart, it's my heart. It's all of our hearts. It's relevant food for today. Hallelujah. So let's pray for that. Heavenly Father. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, deliver this message uh, through me, Lord, and uh, you would help me. 
uh, deliver it, Lord God, exactly as you wish it to be delivered, Lord. And that you would just uh, move and operate in this church. And uh, Lord, you would allow this word to not go forth and uh, accomplish nothing but to accomplish much. And uh, do great things in our life and through us, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. So there are some places in the world, um, I think many of you realize this, there are places in the world where where they would be called war-torn. Where from the youngest age of the oldest adults in that country, all they've ever known is war their entire life. The older men have been fighting men their whole life. The younger kids have been trained to make war at the very youngest ages. There are places in the world that are like that. It's just a reality that there's places where there's always war and they're always on guard and somehow they manage to have some level of normalcy even in the middle of a war. And one thing that is equally a reality is we haven't had that physically in our nation, but when you read the Bible, it is a reality that we have been in a war-torn world, that spiritually there is always a battle um, that we have to be, we don't really have a choice. I mean, you don't, in a war-torn nation, you don't have a choice. Today, I don't want to be a part of this conflict. You're just kind of part of it, right? And so spiritually, the Bible in Ephesians talks about putting on the whole armor of God, which means um, God wants us to be equipped to be able to function in a world that is in a spiritual war right now. And a lot of you have been on the front lines. You know, maybe you worked in emergency rooms, maybe you worked with the police, maybe you worked, you know, as a paramedic, maybe you worked in counseling. And how many recognize there's evidence here that there's a serious war going on spiritually and it just touches every part of the world? And sin is destructive. And it's a reality, you you would almost have to put your head in the ground not to acknowledge that this thing the Bible calls sin is just destructive. It's destructive in individual lives. Uh, people may call it by another name. They may be euphemistic about what it is. But how many know there's a war and your soul can be destroyed and your course uh, can be destructive. And that, that goes for nations as well. That thing can destroy nations and the pages of history are full of civilizations that have ended because of the lack of... Um, uh, an ability to overcome the sins of that nation. And it's a reality that we have to be aware of as a nation. <clears throat> but in Romans here, Paul is uh, going through a chapter here where he's talking about the new life. And he's talking about what God is doing in a war-torn world and how in us is being produced something that when it comes to completion is glorious. And he says the things and the afflictions that we have in this world are light compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And so we want to be a part of that number. 
We don't want to be confused about what it takes to be right with God according to the Bible, not according to the religious leaders of the day. I mean, no, the religious leaders of the day in the Bible often were the ones that misled the people. And the Bible warns that there will be false teachers, false prophets. And the Bible says, let God be true and let all men be liars. That means that men will lie, but God will always be true. And so we've got to be faithful to the word of God because it doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, uh, today, and forever, the Bible says. Hallelujah. So as we begin to look at what the Bible is teaching here, that all creation is groaning, and it's been groaning from the beginning until now, we begin to look for that point when the earth begins to start groaning. And so that point is very definite when it comes to the Bible. That point was God created all of the heavens and earth, all of creation, and he looked at it and he said what? So it's good. And so when God walked around and he looked at creation, he seen nothing but good. Now let me ask you, if God looked around right now just a little bit, would he find evidence of anything that's not good? It would be everywhere. In fact, there are times they did. Times he, he said, hey, let us go down and see what man's doing. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't very good when he did. And so when man sinned, the Bible says that creation changed. And we don't even fully appreciate how torn up this world is because of that. Um, let me give you a little bit of an example as we take a survey of the evidence. Let me know it's important to look at the evidence and say, if this is true in the Bible, what's the evidence of it? And so I'll give you one example um, a lot of times we say, man, everything's perfect. I'm just a little worried about that tornado. Or I'm a little bit worried about that hurricane. Or I'm a little real worried about the, uh, what's the one where the earthquake's in the bottom of the ocean? And yeah, tsunami, that's the one I would want, not want to be around. You know, just all of a sudden out of nowhere and it just sweeps an entire island off of its people. And, and how many know sometimes it's, way below freezing around here and sometimes it's over 100 degrees did you know that that is one of the evidences that our world is torn up because previous to that there were no weather changes you said man i wish it could be 70 all the time and no storms and you know but that's one of the things that changed and we don't fully appreciate that the entire Earth changed. You say, well, man, why do storms have to kill people? Why do people have to die in hurricanes? Why do people have to die in tsunamis? You know? But that's part of the world that got scarred. And from that time until now, there's scars all over the earth. Um, we look at our prayer list this morning. And how many know there's all kinds of diseases in the world there's all kinds of cancer in the world there's death in the world there is uh people dying you know of lots of types of uh addictions you know and you say well man that probably happens somewhere else 
We all know that's not true, right? And and we just look around and we see a world that is war-torn. And we don't even know what it's like to not have that world. Revelation 21.4 says, this is the very end of the Bible, says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. A world without pain. How many of you think that sounds pretty good? You say, well, what kind of pain, Pastor? Physical pain? No, I don't, no emotional pain. No spiritual pain. No physical pain. But these are only for those who inherit that. You say, well, what happens to the other ones? They don't get it. That's part of this world. The Bible, to make it very simple, you say, well, it's a complicated book. It can be a lot simpler. In the beginning was a perfect world. In the end, that world is restored. In between, we make a choice. Do we want God or do we not want God? And that's a question that we have to decide. There's only two types of people in the Bible. There's the godly, which means they have God in their life and want God. And the godless who say, for whatever reason, I don't want him or I don't want him at this point or I don't you know, have any need for God. And so that's the only two camps we find in the Bible. Well, the ones who want God in their life and demonstrate that with their life, God makes some really great promises. But I have to be truthful as a minister. Those promises aren't to everybody. And I say that with a heavy heart. Heavy, heavy, heavy heart. And that's what makes this message so hard is because not very many people preach that anymore. And they're misleading a lot of people who could be on the wrong path and they're just not aware of it because they haven't been told. They haven't been told the truth. And so this morning, this is a very truthful message. And the tendency would be The Bible says in the end times, in the last days, which I think even the biggest critic of the Bible would say that it's amazing the Bible prophesies everything that we see in our world right now. I mean, how many know it's pretty amazing that the Bible would say in Revelation 13 that there's going to be a world system that's going to make everybody take a mark. And if you don't have that mark, you can't buy or sell. And now we see it happening and nobody for a long time understood how that could possibly happen. But how many understand that today, that that's right around the corner? And so the Bible is said in the last days, they will not accept the truth. It says they will seek out preachers who tickle their itching ears. That means that, um, and I want this to be very cautionary thing this morning if somebody doesn't say something that scratches that itch and makes you feel good about your belief system and I tell you my belief system means nothing I had to cast away my belief system if it didn't line up with God because God is true my belief system is just like everybody else 
Everybody has a different one. And none of them are right. The Bible says, let all men be liars, let God be true. And so I had to throw away my belief system. And you say, well, teach us your belief. I don't have a belief system. I try to line up with God because God is true. And the whole world can line up against God and they still won't be right. God is the only one that knows the truth. And he is the truth, he said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus says. And so as we look at this, I want you to look at Matthew 7.13. Not only are we in a war-torn world, but there is a war-torn path. There's a path that is a path that's called destruction. And I want you to understand this path. So my, my prayer this morning is, I say all that to say, if you hear something that is offensive, just know that I'm saying this with the most loving heart. Don't walk out before you hear everything that I've got to say this morning because God really, truly wants the truth to be preached. The Bible says in a nation that is in the precipice of judgment, it says truth has fallen in the streets and has been trampled. And so this morning in Evansville, Indiana, in, I would say, near majority of the churches, truth is being trampled in the name of filling up seats. You know, in, in the, in the, um, desire to pay salaries and the desire to, you know, make sure nobody's offended with what we're saying and we're politically correct. And this morning, I can promise you that's not the case this morning. I'm going to tell you the truth as lovingly as I can. And please don't walk out and say, man, I don't want to hear that because it doesn't, it's not pleasant to the ears, but it's good for you if it's the truth. If it lines up with the word of God, it's, it's, it's good for all of us. And so as we look at this scripture here in Matthew chapter seven, verse 13, this is Jesus's words. How many feel like that's a pretty trustworthy source? Uh, he didn't deny who he was when he walked on the earth. He was very clear that he was God in human form, that God was walking on the earth through uh, this person, Jesus Christ. He was God in the person of Jesus Christ. How many agree with that? Um, Jesus was very clear. He didn't, you know, in fact, they tried to stone him for blasphemy because uh, he was stating that fact. He was saying things that only God would say. And uh, it, very, it very much upset them, but he validated his claims by rising from the dead and uh, walking on earth, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people witnessed him walking on the earth after his resurrection. It's one of the most um, documented um, events in history is Jesus' resurrection and walking on the earth with hundreds of witnesses. Um, but he, here's what he says. Here's his words. And I'm going slow this morning. I hope that doesn't bore you too much. How many got plenty of coffee this morning? That coffee is there as a tool for me to help you follow along with great energy, all right? <laughs> it says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many many enter through it. 
But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is where the truth starts hitting home here. There is a road called destruction. Um, And when the creation was created, it was good. And how many know that hell was a place that had to be created for Satan and those angels that rebelled? But the Bible says it had to be enlarged because people were rejecting God. God didn't want people to take the road to destruction. But man had decided that he would rather live his life without God. God has done everything on his behalf to make sure we don't go down that road. To the point of coming on this earth, dying for us, pursuing us. You know, every point of our life he pursues us. And you say, well, how's he pursued me? I'm angry at God. You know, God says that I give my blessings to the righteous and the unrighteous. I let the sun shine on them every day. And and even the most wicked atheist in the world, how many know that God has poured that person's life with blessing? And it's been equal among the righteous and the unrighteous. God has been so patient with us. But there's this road of destruction that is huge. And that road is a war-torn road. It is a road that is just... um, 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. How many know when you're on the road to destruction, sinful desires, the Bible said, wages war against your soul. It's destroying you and leading you down the road to destruction. And so let's pretend this is this giant road and everybody's on it. Everybody, I mean, very few people are not on the road to destruction, according to Jesus. He said, few find the other road. So let's say this road is big and it's wide and it was created um, for Satan and his angels and God had to expand it because so many people rejected God. That sounds actually pretty accurate to me from what I see. Even the ones who claim to want God don't really want him. Is, am I being truthful? And so here's this road, and then there's this other road. And see, a lot of us think those paths are like this. You walk, and it's like, which one do I go? Will I go here, or will I go there, or will I hop back and forth to each one, you know, and just kind of... How many think a lot of people think that way, but it's not that way? It can't be that way. Because the Bible says in order to take the other road, you have to repent. And that repent means an exact 180. That means I can't go on both at the same time. I can't have a road that converges. You ever seen those ones that, like, I'm back on the road, I'm back off the road, I'm back on the road. It doesn't work that way. Because this road goes this direction. And let me be truthful again this morning. And please, like I said, understand I'm doing it from love. Love of a pastor, love of a father, you know, love of a husband. Just truth has to be preached. 
or people will die, they'll perish if we don't tell the truth. And so if I'm walking down this road, there's no possible way I can walk down both roads. Either I'm walking the path of destruction or I've repented and turned around and I'm walking toward God. And I can tell you there's not as many people on this road. I can tell you by the authority of Jesus' words, there's not many that are on that road. And my desire this morning is to have as many as possible that will repent and turn away from that and say, I want, I want to live in a world that is restored and perfect and without pain. You know, it shouldn't be so hard to find people that want to be on that road. It's like, Chad, I see the evidence. I see death all around me. I see suffering all around me. I see destruction all around me. I see wickedness all around me. I see people that hate God all around me. And this other road is a perfect world. Do, do you, do we even, does it even dawn on us what a non-war-torn world looks like when it's fulfilled in us? I'll never have a day of pain. I'll never have a day of fear. Fear came through sin. I'll never have a day of anxiety. I'll never have a day of cancer. I'll never have a day of sickness. I'll never have a day where I have to go to a cemetery. I have to go to a funeral. Do you guys understand what the world, the re, the recreated heavens and earth, the beautiful world that God has for us, and, and all He asks is just let me be a part of it. Let be a part of, let me be a part of it. Want me in your life is all I ask. Want me in your life. But still the majority of the world rejects Him. And He said, I wish that not any would perish, but all would have everlasting life. But man has free will. And so we see a world that's just destroyed by that free will to not want God in his life and not want to listen to God. It says in Galatians, and I want to be very clear about this, please hear this scripture. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition. Heck, let me read it from another version here. Somehow my notes got messed up. That's not good. Selfish ambitions, okay, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, listen to this, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, a lot of churches and a lot of church leaders, and let me be very honest with you here, they would uh, want to take out that last line that says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, if you're drunk, if you're sexually immoral, if you're hatred, dissensions, all these things that are in here says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means that you've been disqualified from the inheritance. And church, we've got to hear this this morning. Um, and in the times past, I haven't said this before, but now a lot of religious leaders are showing their cards. 
I mean, oh, the Methodist church is split in half right now because of the ordaining of things that are forbidden by God. How many know the Catholic church, the leader, the Pope, has put his blessing on same-sex marriages and says that they're allowed to bless the union. And this is where it's going to rise up in you and you might get angry at me. This is where I say we've got to preach the truth because we are quickly going away from the truth. And when religious leaders do it, before I would say, well, maybe there's a lot of faithful people in those movements, but now I'll say run away from those movements. Run away. When you start saying things like that, you say, well, Chad, are you speaking against the Pope? I'm on YouTube right now. Please understand that man is an apostate for saying that. You say, aren't you scared? No, I'm actually, I feel the authority of God behind my words and I feel the word of God behind it. And those other leaders in the church better rise up and boot him out of there very quickly uh, because that is a very destructive teaching that he's... You say, well, why do you say that, Chad? Don't you have any compassion? Yeah, I say it because of love and compassion. Because I love people that are in that lifestyle and people, some of my closest people in my life are in that lifestyle. And if I withhold the truth, then I don't truly love them. If it were my own son, my own family member, I would say the truth because the truth is what's important, not the lies of our culture. Let me give you a study here and please stay here. Don't leave me here. And I've cited this study before. A very important study. A man by the name of J.D. Unwin. How many of you remember me talking about his book before? Um, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but he was a sociologist uh, for Oxford University, and this is 1933, 34. And he began to do a study of cultures. He was a cultural anthropologist. And so he very strongly agreed with Freud... And he was not a Christian, not a believer. In fact, he was trying to prove that um, Freud was right, that our society is repressed sexually. Right? And so he wanted to prove that if you got rid of that repression of sexual norms, that it would release society and they would go on to do great things. And so that's how he started his study. He never was a Christian during the study. But he studied 86 different civilizations from the last 6,000 years. You know, the top 86 cultures. And it was a lifetime of work, and it was six volumes. And he was absolutely shocked when he finished. And a lot of his colleagues did not like his results. But as he began to study culture, here's the main points he came up with, and I want you to follow this. Here's some of the most significant findings in order. And I'm just going through that list on Galatians. The first one is uh, sexual immorality. Now I could go through that whole list of things that are on that road of destruction. 
I mean, no, there's a whole list there of drunkenness and, you know, uh, hatred and dissension and envy and strife and all that's on there. But I'm just going to do the first one just to show you what the road of destruction um, looks like and what it does to an individual life and a nation, okay? Um, but the word there, sexual morality, is pornei. And this is the official Greek definition when it says, um, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, or some say adultery and fornication, but it says this word refers to prostitution, sexual intercourse, outside of marriage, pedophilia, promiscuity, homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, premarital sex, and bestiality. Boy, that's a great topic for Sunday morning. You say, well, don't talk about that stuff. If I truly love God and truly love people, why would I not talk about it? Why would I not lend a hand to help away from destructive behaviors in lives? If, if those destructive behaviors cause you to be disqualified for the kingdom of heaven, there's no other place to go but the other direction. If you're not going to heaven, where are you going, church? Hell, there's no in-between. So I'm speaking the truth this morning, and we have to hear this. But just this one thing, the first one he lists, sexual immorality. Number one significant finding he had, which shocked him, increased sexual constraints either pre- or post-marriage always led to the increased flourishing of the culture. Conversely, increased sexual freedom always led to the collapse of a culture within three generations. Always. This shocked him. It really upset him because that's not what he was expecting to find. But in 86 cultures, 6,000 years, that was his number one dramatic finding that he was really shocked by. Number two, the single most influential factor in the success of a culture, he said, surprisingly, the data revealed the single most important correlation with the flourishing of a culture was whether premarital purity was required or not. The highest thing in the flourishing of a culture, the most powerful combination, was premarital purity coupled with absolute monogamy. Rationalist cultures that retained this combination for at least three generations exceeded every other culture in every area, including literature, art, science, architecture, engineering, agriculture. Only three of the 86 cultures studied ever attained the highest level. Do you hear that? All 86 cultures flourished when there was importance put on marriage, purity before marriage, and monogamy in marriage. I mean, this is groundbreaking study. That's the number two thing that shocked him. Number three, or four, I'm sorry. There was a major effect in abandoning premarital purity. When strict premarital purity was no longer the norm in society, absolute monogamy... Belief in God and rational thinking also disappeared within three generations. Eighty-six cultures. You say, well, Chad, 
this has no relevance in our culture. How many believe... How many believe that absolute monogamy, monogamy means faithfulness in a marriage to one person, belief in God, and rational thinking is disappearing from our society? I'm just talking evidence. I'm not saying believe me a pastor. I'm saying go look for yourself with your own eyeballs what's happening in our culture. Next finding that he had. Total sexual freedom. Now, initially he set out to show this is what culture needed. But what he found was if total sexual freedom was embraced by culture, that culture collapsed within three generations to the lowest state of flourishing, which Unwin describes as inert and a dead level of conception and is characterized by people who have little interest in much else other than their own wants, and needs. At this level, the culture is usually conquered or taken over by another culture with greater purity. So what you would find is a culture that only thing on their mind is their own wants and their own needs. And you say, well, Chad, this is so irrelevant, especially in the church because we're holy. Can I tell you all across this city, There's absolutely no preaching on young couples living with each other. It's all, yeah, they're fine. Yeah, that's okay. There's no issues with premarital sex. Oh, wow, he said it on Sunday morning. Church, if I don't preach it in here, I'll preach it out on the sidewalk. All right? Homosexuality. I had one evangelical church who's very well known in this area, and they said, you know, we embrace it. They hold hands on our front front seat, front pews. You say, Chad, you're a hateful person. I hate the destructive life. You are correct. I love people. I love people. People, some of the people I love the most are in a destructive lifestyle, and I don't like to see the enemy destroying lives and you say well it's going to be all right we just don't want to preach that on a sunday morning because they'll go away and my next question is at what point do you start teaching it and the answer usually is never never church we've got to expect people to live a life where god is included in our life and holiness is a part of that life listen to this scripture here It says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual immorality. So what's God's will for us? That we would be holy or sanctified, and that we would flee from all of these things. Here's why I preach this on a Sunday morning. It would be very easy in our culture with the... um, jellyfish preachers that we have. You know what a jellyfish is? It doesn't have a spine. You say, well, you shouldn't say that about your colleagues. If you can't preach the truth, get out of the ministry. Get out of the ministry and you can't preach it in love. You don't need to be yelling that stuff either and angry. The purpose is not angry. The purpose is we love people and it's destroying our nation. Church, we won't be a nation in three generations. 
according to the statistics, we will be gone within three generations and we're well into it already. 33, 33 years is what he defined as a generation in a study and we're well into 33 years into it. In 99 years, none of those cultures existed. And if we don't be the church and we don't have a standard for life and an expectation about how life is supposed to be lived, I just went into the sexual immorality part because it's the first one on the list. But how many know there's issues with lying? There's issues with the anger. There's issues with dissensions. There's issues that, you know, we're so soft on sin in this country that we have no standard. We, we want the standard to be here so everybody can jump over it. You know, here's the standard. You, know, you just do what you want, and if somebody tells you different, just go to the next church. Right? Well, come here, little guy. You can get over this standard. Come here. Yeah, it's easy. You're an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't matter what Paul says. It doesn't matter what the scriptures say. You're an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. And church, that's why when we go to church, we feel like it's not real. We feel like it's fake. We say, well, man, I went to church and nothing changed me. But I'll never go back to Chad's church. Because that made me mad. That made me uncomfortable. But church, how many know we've got to have the standard that the Bible teaches, not the standard of religious leaders. You say, well, I'm not going to take your standard either. Well, read your Bible then. Read your Bible and tell me where that doesn't agree with the Bible because I'm reading Scripture this morning, church. And if a preacher is preaching something that's not the Bible, we've got to call it out. We've got to call it out. And you say, well, no, we've got to be really politically correct about it. You know, the days of political correctness are over, church. We've got, let me go back. We've got a war-torn world where people's lives are being destroyed. And remember the scripture I read, it says, if you are, um, the sinful nature is making war with souls. And so if I've got a road of people that are on their way to hell, let me, let me tell you something. It would be very easy to be on the road of destruction and think you're on the road to eternity, to eternal life. Very easy. How many think that that happens quite often? It's like, chatter. you know, I go up to him and say, are you a believer? Well, I sure am. Sure am, and you're walking down this road of destruction. Well, how do you know you're a believer? Well, nobody's ever said anything different, you know. I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. Church, let me repeat it. Few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. You say, well, man, I've been able to misbehave for years in the church and nobody's ever said anything. It's time somebody starts saying something. You say, well, I'll go somewhere else. Well, I may only have a few, but that might be the few that he's talking about. Few there be that find it. You know, I'll preach the same message even if I've got one or two people in here. I'll preach the same exact message. Hallelujah, because it's true. In church, we've got to want that accountability. We've got to want what it says here. And this is the third point I have here. It's called the good path. How many want the good path? The path that 
the path that also did not exist. Not, not right now. The path that did not exist. I mean, no, the road to hell didn't exist. It had to be expanded because of the fact that we rejected God. But how many also know that that narrow path also had to be paved by Jesus Christ? There was no access to heaven. In fact, there was a compartment of paradise and and a compartment of hell where they were being held, those who were faithful. And when Jesus died, he had to lead captivity captive and he opened up a path to heaven. In fact, it says that those souls are in his presence now. And when we die, we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. And he made a path. He made a path to heaven. And so he says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. So church, here's the good news. How many know you can't have the good news until you understand the bad news? You say, man, I feel rotten now. I feel rotten about my life. I feel rotten about the things I've done. And uh, church, that's where we have to be before we can accept the good news. The good news is He will forgive you for everything that we've ever done. And all He asks us to do is repent. Turn around and let's start heading down the good path. And you say, well, I want to do both. Well, you're disqualified if you want to do both. I can't help you there. There's no path that I can give you that allows you to practice sin and go away from God and then also go the other way. We say, well, what if I go this way and I'm trying with all of my heart to not do things, but I still fail? I got even better news. The plan was made for that type of person because we're all sinners we all came short of the glory of God. And you say, well, man, I'm worried. I'm worried I, I can't live that life. I got more good news. The Bible says that grace and mercy will allow anybody who will turn help. And you say, well, what happens if I slip or what happens if I fail? And the Bible is very, uh, very clear. Blessed is the man or woman whose sins are not held against them. Wow. So there are certain people, according to the Bible, that their sins aren't held against them, and certain people that their sins are actually held against them. And yes, when you turn and decide to serve God, that doesn't mean you're a perfect person. How many know that? That just means I want the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God of love to help me find my way. In fact, I'm going to switch up my whole notes and I'm going to close with this. It's just been on my heart lately, and I think I need to state it again. Two different words you need to understand in the Bible. Ryan, you can come on up. Just whenever you're ready. But two words I want you to really understand about sin. One is just the word sin in the Bible. The Bible says that we're all sinners and we've all come short of the glory of God. The word sin in the Bible is a term that comes from archery. It's a bullseye. Makes it a real simple word to understand. And the Bible said we're all sinners because God has a plan and a purpose for man, but we just can't hit the mark. We're not able to hit the mark. You say, well, man, i got to be perfect to be a Christian. No, you just have to acknowledge I can't hit the mark. And so the term is a bullseye. 
He has a certain way He wants all of us to live. But every time we try to hit that mark, what do you think happens? We fail. So we shouldn't be worried about being perfect because the whole word sinner means that you're not able to hit the mark and I understand that. That's why I came for you. To help you hit the mark. You say, well good, I'm going to start hitting the mark. Well, we got another problem. The word iniquity in the Bible means to be bent. That means the instrument that's trying to hit the bullseye is bent. Well, how did I get bent? Because your great-great-grandfather was a sinner. His son was a sinner. His son's son was a sinner. His son's son's son was a sinner. And all that got put into you. And you say, well, my family is perfect as a snowflake. How many of you know we're all desperately bent? The Bible says that every heart um, is desperately wicked. And so to be a believer, to be one that's on this path toward God, is acknowledging I can't hit the bullseye, but at the same time acknowledging I have no chance of hitting it because I'm bent. And so what God is trying to do is take your iniquity and that thinking has been bent by your culture. And so everything that we think about uh, drugs, alcohol, behavior toward other people, uh, sexual relationships, everything that we know, everything that we are is bent against what God intended us to be. And so God has got to do a work in us over our lifetime. He's got to take that arrow and He's got to begin to bend it because you're crooked. You say, you're calling me crooked, you're making me mad. <laughs> I'm crooked. You say, well, you're perfectly straight now, aren't you? No. No. How many of you know that every day I wake up with the realization that there's areas in my life that I'm still crooked? But how many know there are some areas in my life He straightened me out? How many have gotten straightened out and you, man, you went up there and you went, pow. And you're like, I finally did what God wanted me to do in my life. And you're amazed. You're like, wow, thank you, Lord. You've straightened me out in one little area. But how many know that's the process of sanctification? Very simply, God has to take our thinking and reteach us and and teach us how to do the right thing. So if God were going to make us perfect in order to be a believer, then none of us would make it. But if the process is, trust me, understand my directions, apply them to your life, and I'm straightening you out in a lot of different areas. How many know we can do that? The plan is achievable. God has a perfect plan and a perfect way, church. And He wants to help us hit the mark in every part of life. And you say, well, Chad, I'm firmly on the road to destruction. Church, it's so simple. The Bible says a fool need not make a mistake. He just wants us to turn around. And say, I know that you're on the road to destruction. But all I need you to do is just repent and say you want me in your life. And I've got a plan that won't fail. How many know that? God's got a plan that will not fail. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. You say, how simple is it? The Bible said that all we have to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive us of everything. 
You say, well, what does Lord mean? That means that I've been the Lord of my life. And now I want Him to be the Lord of my life. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to be on Christianity Weekly because you're such a good one. Right? It just means that I want God in my life. And I want God to help me. And I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. It's a very simple church. The other way is, man, I don't need God in my life. I'm going to keep going this direction. I'm going to keep following everybody else. And church, we can't keep doing that. We've got to turn around and say, God, I'm coming to you now. I'm taking my first steps. Hallelujah. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And the Bible says to take that very cautiously to make sure that we know that we we're, have faith in God in our life, that we're not just um, saying it, we're actually living that life. He's the Lord of our life. And uh, so we're going to say a prayer before we take communion. You say, man, can I partake of it? All you have to do is repent of your sins, receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, and you say, well, is this a magic prayer? No. It's just you acknowledging in your own words, I'll lead you in words, but go home and do it yourself. Just say, God, I lay down my own thinking and I'm picking up yours. I'm going to move toward you, God. I'm going to put you in my life and I want to be a person that has you in my life. Church, have I made it simple today? I hope I have. And I hope you feel the love that's in this. I'm I'm not angry at any sins. But these are all the sins that our culture, uh, it's destroying our culture. It's destroying our churches. And if we don't get serious about it and we don't start preaching about it on Sunday morning, it's just going to destroy everybody you love, everybody you care about. And um, I don't want to see that. I want to see the church be the church. Hallelujah. And preach the truth. Hallelujah. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And if everybody would just join me. And here's the thing. You say, man, if I say that prayer, am I right with God? Maybe. There's no magic to the, to the words. There's magic to the follow through. And so if you mean it, say it. And then come to me afterward and say, you know what? I prayed that prayer and I privately want you to help me make the next steps. There are next steps. But if you pray that prayer and just move on, then we're not following through with what God wants us to do in our life. And uh, you say, well, I can do it alone. I don't need a church. And, And I'll tell you again, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we should never forsake the gathering of the brethren together, that God has put leaders in your life um, who love you and do the right thing. They sometimes encourage, they sometimes reprove. But God has put church leaders in your life, so we've got to make sure that they are um, good shepherds in our life, not hirelings. They're just there for a paycheck, right? So I'm going to say this prayer, and if you mean that prayer with all of your heart, you really need to follow up at some point after with the pastor and talk to him about your new relationship with the Lord. Um, But you're free to join us in communion if you've made that commitment to Christ. And uh, nobody will be looking around. Nobody will be judging anybody. But uh, let's pray that prayer together, church. I'm just going to lead you, but I'd rather you did it in your own words later today if you're committed to living for Christ. But Heavenly Father, just say it with me, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today and we acknowledge that we are sinners.
We know that you died and was resurrected to give us an inheritance in heaven. And Lord, today I receive your gift and I ask you to forgive all of my sins today and become the Lord of my life. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, don't be fooled. If you didn't mean it and you're not going to walk it out and talk to the pastor about it, then you probably didn't mean it. But if you've already made that commitment, you know where you're at with the Lord. But if you haven't made it for the first time today, talk to me. I want to help you take those first steps in this direction toward Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your word and I thank you for the patience of everybody to hear this message. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless each life. Lord, I pray against the enemy who would try to um, make people upset over the word. Lord, I just pray that the word would be received in love and in truth, Lord God from a pastor who does care. And I just pray that you bless each person. And, and Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would move. Uh, if those who have made the commitment for the first time, you'd just fill their heart right now. Give them the courage to take the next steps. And those who have walked away, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to live it out, Lord God, the rest of their life, Lord God, so we can be with you, Lord. Receive that inheritance from you that you gave freely. Bless each person in your name, I pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, church, you're welcome to take communion. Everybody who has made a commitment to Christ can take communion with us today. And so I would encourage you to just serve yourselves in um, no particular order. Just um, you're welcome to partake of them yourself. Hallelujah. the Lord. I want to thank everybody for staying so patient and uh, love the body of Christ. Um, those who've committed themselves to be holy and you say, well, what is that? That just means that you separated yourself for Christ's work in your life. Holy just means I'm separated for God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're the best. It means that you have committed to being separated uh, for his work in your life. And uh, how many believe that we should be separated for God? Hallelujah. I appreciate everybody that has committed themselves to that. It's not the easiest thing in this world, but it's the right thing. Hallelujah. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There are two ordinances that he asked the church to be faithful to do. That's the Lord's Supper and water baptism. How many know that? 
And um, so just as Jesus did and taught to his disciples, 2,000 years later, we still do it to remember him. Hallelujah. And look forward to what he has in store for us. Hallelujah. So if you would, hold up that cracker that symbolizes his broken body for us, his resurrected body, which we will follow him in that. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your gift. You gave your son for us to reach us, Lord. Lord Jesus, you were faithful to the Father. And you died on our behalf. You lived in this war-torn world. And you said that you have overcome it. Be of good cheer. Lord, this morning we feel protected from everything around us, all the wickedness around us, because you have made a path. You protected your people. You filled us full of joy and hope and happiness, Lord. And we thank you for all of the provision you made to make sure we make it home. And Lord, we bless this body in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. You can take it. Oh, man. can't tell you how thankful I am for the Lord. I mean, no, there's none of us in here that are worthy. (laughs) That's the beauty of it. (laughs) The Lord did it for us. Hallelujah. So a pleasure to honor him. Hallelujah. It says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hallelujah. Let's bless this. Hallelujah. Lord. We're so thankful that that precious blood was shed for each and every one of us, Lord. Lord, we sit here, we stand here by your grace alone, and we're so thankful for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, you're teaching us to hit the mark every day. And Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, for your touch in our life, Lord, and your being with us through life, Lord. We bless this cup, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. I'm running a little late this morning, so I'm going to close. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, bless your people. Lord, strengthen them with all the things they need, Lord God, to um, live the life you've called us to, Lord. Let grace, mercy, love be poured upon each life, Lord God. Father, let this word, Lord, be a good word, Lord, that would not bring bad, but it would bring good. It would be brought to remembrance, Lord God, to help us through this journey of life, Lord. And just bless your people. Bless everybody that heard this message today. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah.